0: This is a Sydney EO production.
1: Welcome to episode 11 of the Sydney EO Business Podcast. I'm Brendan Tarazzi, the host of the show, and today I'm with Sven Almanning from EO. How are you, Sven?
0: I'm amazing, man. How are you? Oh,
1: I'm very, very well, and, and first podcast of the year, so eager to get back into it. Rock and roll. So tell me a little bit about, uh, I know you do a few different things. Let's Tell me a little bit about the bar group, because I see you as like the, uh, I guess, a, I won't say mini, but like maybe a junior... Um, What's the uh, Justin Hemis? Ah. You, know, you know, like you've got a you've got this bar empire and uh, bars, secret bars everywhere. So, tell us a story about how you got into that and, um, All and right. what
0: you do these days. All right, yeah. I'll, I'll, um, how we got into bartending is a long story, but but uh, in terms of the the bar group, the the speak-easy group is is a. Uh, uh, if compared to Justin Hem's empire, is very much a mini. <laughs> we're pretty small compared. I didn't
1: to. mean that in, in a
0: derogatory <laughs> way oh no. in any way. Oh, uh, not I, taken. I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd prefer to not be uh, uh, be compared. They're, they're be, be very. It's very different. I mean, they're they're, they're enormous, um, and they're amazing. Now we, I got six uh, small bars at the moment. We opened uh, one called Odev in Sydney in 2010. That was the first venue, um, and we only planned. To open the one venue We didn't have, really have big plans for anything else I had ran an agency at the time um, And we didn't foresee We were going to open any more bars um, But that bar was very successful We won World's Best New Cocktail Bar that year uh, We went on to win Gourmet Traveler Bar of the year and Time Out Bar of the year And just a lot of other awards And it gave us the confidence to open more So we opened Eau de in Melbourne The following year um, Followed by a venue in, in Sydney called the Roosevelt which um, I still own part of but doesn't form part of my current group. Um, and since then, we've rolled out uh, Boilermaker House in Melbourne, which is a craft beer and whiskey bar. Mjolnar in Sydney and Melbourne, which is a Viking-inspired restaurant, which is kind of crazy. Um, and then our latest venue is in Parramatta, which is a rooftop champagne and cocktail bar uh, called Nick and Nora's. So do you follow a formula or is it every every individual bar
1: is is different and has e- a different concept
0: each venue is different I mean if we have a so ODV has a brand extension Sydney Melbourne so they're very similar Mjolnir Sydney Melbourne they're very similar um, outside of that we, we, we definitely don't want a cookie, cookie cutter approach we want to make sure that it's it's um, innovative and, and vibrant and, and that we provide great experiences and a lot of work goes into tightening up the, the concept I think the days of you when know, I first started hospitality in every pub was the same, you know. Especially in Australia, coming to Australia, you know, they every every pub had salt and pepper squid and wedges with sour cream and it was chili, you know. You don't do that anymore. Uh, no, you know, <laughs> <laughs> we don't do that. And I think if people people who are doing that, you know, they they are um, either the, you know, that's just what their locals want. But you know, chances are, if they're in a, in in a, in a metro area, these guys are going out of business quickly. Um, It used to be that you could do all the same, and people came to a pub just expecting what they got at every other pub. Same beers, same food, um, limited amount of wine, very few spirits, and that's what it was. Now it's very different. People go out for specific experiences, and you need venues, I think, to be delivering something unique in order to stand out. And so that's what we try to do.
1: So how do you capture that midweek? Like I'd imagine weekends are pretty easy because you've got people wanting to go out and have a good time. What about the midweek? How do you how do you capture that crowd? Is it a local crowd? or?
0: Oh, it's a tough one. It depends on the venues that you have. I mean uh, the good thing with some of the venues is that they're, they're so busy on the weekend that the weekends are busy, weekdays are busy because – yeah that's when can get in yeah spillover effect that's right i mean in order be melbourne i think we still have line i mean we opened that in 2011 and um you know we still often have mondays with a line out the door you know oh that's cool <laughs> it's crazy That's so cool <laughs> it's crazy um sydney's a bit different of course with the lockout laws here and has changed a lot of the dynamic in in the city and how you can run your businesses um but in general i think like, we just try to we try to not go heavy on promos and discounts and stuff and just try to become known for delivering a good product and a, and a great experience and, and have word of mouth kind of fill the bars.
1: I'm actually reading a, uh, a book at the moment that reminded me of you called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not so subtle about not giving a fuck, but <laughs> I get that. <laughs> Ah, no, that's excellent. That's excellent. And have the lockout laws changed things for you or did it not oh. really matter?
0: No, oh, the lockout laws changed everything, I think. In Sydney, I mean, the the uh, I had two venues, uh, the Roosevelt and Odevee, both in, in that area, in Kings Cross, post-point. Yep. Um, you know, we've lost 85% of foot traffic there. Oh, wow. Um, that impacts business, right? Yeah. Um, we've, um, on top of that, you, you know, I think there's, I don't know the numbers now, but I think over 30 venues... In basically what is a one-by-one-kilometer you know, area, over 30 venues without a business in the first 18 months to two years. Yeah. Um, so, of course, you had a drop in revenue in, in, in both of those venues. At the Roosevelt, um, we actually got hit before the lockout laws came in because all the press that came out at the time after the first King hit was so negative about the cross there was we dropped forty percent I think in a, in the first week thirty four percent in the first week we dropped sixty percent in I think f- f- six weeks um, and um, it was a tough job just to get it back
1: yeah you know? yeah well I guess it's like if people aren't walking past they can't stop for a drink
0: well I think I mean our main thing was you know at the time we the result was a um, a destination venue where our main target market were you know, 30, 35 up, you know, mostly female clientele. um, And they would look at, read the paper and go, I'm not going to King's Cross to to die. Too dangerous. Yeah, too dangerous. So then all of a sudden, you know, our entire target market left and we had to pivot and become more of a local venue for same demographic, but more local rather than destination. And that took a a bit of work. Um, Mm -hmm. But when the local loss then came into play, we had kind of resurrected that venue, and we're back on track, and didn't have to make too many changes there. Whereas at V and of course we got the massive hit and drop in revenue as well.
1: So, with when you're running a really popular venue, what are some of the things that can happen? Like say in Melbourne, are there I don't know. I, I was I mentioned to you that I've just read this underworld book, do you get shit like that happening with people trying to, you know, stand over you and pay them money for protection and yeah, we or only, is that a thing of the past?
0: You know what? It's only really ever happened to me once. Um uh, and we don't have like, you know it, it never came to the came to fruition if you like. You know, we had people in there in one of our venues harassing guests. Like yeah. and, and we got guests leaving and one of us came, one of the guests came up and said, Hey, you know, I think you guys are you know, this this is a um, you know th- these guys are standard of men. They're gonna they're gonna keep harassing guests until you guys pay them a yeah a, a number a fee to, yeah. to stop them coming back. Um, but when you work in the bar industry, you often have connections. So I called a friend and I was like, "This is going down in my venue." And I put him on the phone with the guys. Yeah. in there causing trouble and yeah, they apologized and left. Oh wow, that's good. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, that's great. That's the only time we've had a any brush with that kind of. Underworld. And I mean, we don't even know if that was their intention. We just—that's how we came across, and we decided to deal with it. Uh, and luckily, we had contacts who who could speak the language.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a slippery slope if you go down that path, right? You oh, start yeah, yeah.
0: opening your wallet, then
1: the oh, word, yeah, word yeah, gets around, and it's all over.
0: Oh, but we had—we had another incident, not the same, but a, a venue nearby. We had a had a very prominent underworld figure running it as well, um, and we were kind of. Next to each other and it really, you know, some of the staff would leave because they're too scared to be nearby and Mm. it was a tough, tough work on management just kind of, you know, just managing the fear of what could happen when you have these people near your business. So I've been to your Viking restaurant, (laughs) uh, which
1: which is awesome, Uh, Cleveland Street, right?
0: That's right, that's right.
1: Um, How's that going? Uh, It was probably, it might have been just after you opened that we we had a forum there or after, after forum dinner there.
0: That's probably um, right. I mean, we opened that in we opened that in March last year, I think uh, twenty not last year twenty seventeen. Fantastic knives from memory. Uh, that's right, that's <laughs> right. No, and that place is going crazy. We opened that. It's like the dumbest, uh, the worst location. Um, like Redfern's awesome, but Cleveland Street's not great. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, very strange concept, but it was so successful and so popular that we opened another one in Melbourne. More or less on the day of the of the kind of one year anniversary for the first one. Oh, brilliant! Yeah, so it's it's, it's incredible that that place is so much fun. I had dinner there last night. <laughs> is,
1: is, a, is there a concept like that around, or is it completely a bit th- of an innovation?
0: I think it's completely fresh. I mean, there are um, uh, there, there I know of a, a, a really hardcore themed Viking. Venue in, in Stockholm, I think, okay. or Gothenburg. Okay. But what we're trying to do is, we don't want to be themed. We want to be because theming, theme venues can be a bit over the top. So we're yeah. trying to be run more like the idea is that it's inspired by Vikings and yeah. the backstory kind of is that the backstory is weird. So the backstory is that the Avengers exist and, 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 and Thor is real and Hulk yep. exists and Iron Man's there and because Thor is here and we call it Midgard, you know, Earth, fighting the baddies, if you like instead of being home in Asgard, he gets homesick and, and builds a venue. And, and because the Avengers are set kind of in a nondescript but near future in terms of its time, mm. um, we're not trying to recreate something that's a thousand years old. We're trying to take it... So much like ficti- fut- futuristic in a yeah, way. Yeah, but also into a fictional universe and go, you know, if Thor did open a venue, what would it look like? And yeah. what would they do? And what would they serve? And what would Vikings see today? And that gives us a lot of freedom yeah, but you got to stick kind of quite tightly to the idea; otherwise, uh, you can't recognize the the inspiration. And if you take it overboard, it becomes just themed. Um, and then with theming, often comes the assumption that there's a lack of quality.
1: And so, would Thor uh, be able to order a side of wedges and sour cream? No, bro. <laughs>
0: <laughs> No, it's a casual fine dining restaurant. There's no, uh, there's no riches. <laughs> Fair enough.
1: Um, so tell me about your um, EO experience. When did you join? What, what was the sort of why did you join and, and how are you finding it?
0: Uh, it's, qu- it's quite interesting. I mean, I, I got invited to, I didn't really know about EO, but I, until I got invited to come and s- speak at a forum. Um, and so I, I, I came to the one forum and, and, and did a little talk there. I was then invited to present at the... I think it's the biannual... Um, yeah, down in, down in Hobart. I remember right. I saw you speak there. Yeah, yeah, and I, was, I had so much fun doing that. And and what really was amazing about... What I really loved about here was that, you know, I'm a booze guy, not a business guy. And so so, to be able to stand up in front of, you know, a hundred people who in business and talk about business was, was really um, interesting for me and very interesting experience. But also the way I was welcomed afterwards, and the how genuine people were, you know, um, and everybody's like, "Oh, you've got to come and join the, the EO." So, based on the people who are part of the EO, it's the kind of decision that's like, "Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come and join and give it, give this a go." Mm. Um, and it was also the the underlying kind of desire was to you know, start taking my business kind of from just being a bunch of cowboys doing what we think is cool yeah. to applying some real, um, you know. So solid business principles around it and just educating myself more about how to manage the company as it as it grows because we have a i think it's a hundred and i think it's 165 170 staff now wow are they casual employees uh well a lot of them are salaries some are casual but most of these people are doing you know close to you know full-time hours wow yeah it's it's a lot of people so at, at some point you gotta learn a bit
1: more about how to do that, that, that sounds like my worst nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> 165
0: headaches. Oh, mate, that's one way to look at it. I got, and I got friends who, who, who um, don't want to grow their business because that's how they view it. But same time, for me, it's there's 165 people who are bringing you know, different point of view, a different opinion, uh, a different experience, um, and who are bringing their energy and their personality into our company and in hospitality. You know the the people who are serving uh, is everything. They are the business. the 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 fit out that you do and the, and the and the light fittings you purchase and the music you play. All that stuff is just a canvas for the staff to to perform. Yeah. Um, and so they are without good without good people, you're not going to have a great experience. Oh yeah, you? and you don't have a you don't have a successful business. So the, yeah. the trick in hospitality, I think, is to be able to attract really good people to your business. If you can do that, then, you know, they will ensure that you are successful.
1: So that's probably a a great segue on to, I just learned today that you ran a training company. That's right. So tell me how that sort of has, Uh, you know, I guess uh, been woven into your career of running bars.
0: So, I mean, I started, um, it's quite a while ago now. I think back in 2005, I set up an agency. Ad- I didn't know it was an agency at the time. I, I just started consulting to to liquor companies. I'd had my hand at setting up a, a business, an importation business called Alchemy Imports, and we were importing vodka and gin and stuff. And very hard to compete with the big guys. Yep. So we decided to to let go of that and start consulting to them because they were doing so many things wrong. Um, and as we did that, we then created this training platform for, for a client, Diageo. And what the idea was that we would go out and and educate, you know, the venues that they had contract with, the staff in those venues, on how to be better at their jobs. So they could be, you know, better bartenders, making better drinks, better floor staff, being quicker, working more efficiently. And as we did that, these venues would start increasing in revenue and they'd start keeping their staff along because they're, you know, providing education for them. And we ran it for nine years, I think. Um, and so that was all face-to-face training? All face-to-face training, yeah. right. And then when we, we closed that down about five years ago, started focusing on the bars, and as the, our bar group grew, I started encountering the problem that, you know, I didn't feel we were providing good enough training for our team. Um, and so I was like, well, how do we, how do we, how do we fix it? And to, to de- meet the demand for training daily... In a face-to-face, it doesn't work. You can't. Every time someone new person starts a new business, you can't take your top people out of the out of their jobs to now train this person up to a point where they can deliver. Um, but if you wait three months to have ten new people, yeah. then you have three months of people not performing. Yeah. Um, and so we then came up with this. Uh, where I, well, I came up with this online solution, which basically allows groups to train all their staff on there, both on you know generic things like. You know, whether you're in Miami or in Hong Kong, Singapore, Stockholm, a margarita is a margarita. The difference between champagne and Prosecco remains the same. The difference between single malt and bourbon remains the same. You don't have to learn that in yeah. a specific venue. You just have to learn it. Yeah. And then you have this specific stuff, like how the sequence of services in the venue, what their policy is with, um, you know, cutting people off if they had too much, whatever it is. And and the platform also has an environment for the venues to... to Create and upload their own stuff, um, and so yeah, we started so, working that three, four years ago, and we launched it six months ago. Oh, brilliant! Yeah, well, <laughs> and is it is it video training or is it? It's a combination of everything. So it's a lot of it is copy. I think that um, video training is very hot right now. But uh, like I come from, I have an educational background. I used to be in the navy um, as an officer there, and when you're an officer in the navy almost everything you do when you, in the beginning is learning how to teach because when you're teaching someone how to throw a hand grenade or handle a machine gun, th- th- there's no second chance normally mm. if you fuck that up, you, you know, like you got to get it the first time. Yeah. And so the idea there is that, you know, you really have to understand how to educate people. And video training, um, whilst super easy and sounds great, um, only goes so far in my opinion and when I talk to people as well because your brain starts shutting off and so you're just receiving information you're not necessarily digesting it so what we do is we do a combination of of written information um, that's quite often reinforced through um, like a visual visually reinforced either through infographics or video series or, or, or sorry, photography and then we summarize a lot of that stuff in a video so you get oh, yeah. hit three different ways you get yep. hit you read it, you yep. see it, and then you uh, in, in photos, infographs, and then you kind of get it reinforced again through video.
1: And, and that way, if one medium doesn't work for you, you've got the other two others two.
0: to fall back on. That's so, exactly right. Yeah. yeah. And also, just the the idea there is that you know, if you sit, I think you know, if you go, oh, I don't know how to change the oil on my car, watching a three minute video on YouTube and then going out and doing it is great. But if you're like, you know, I would like to learn, you know, um, about beer. I don't know, sitting down and watching a 45 minute video educational video beer yeah i'm not sure you're going to come out of that yeah with the same kind of result as that quick video to go change the oil of your car it's not yep. the same yeah yeah yep. so it's a bit of a bit of a mix
1: and so is it a, a SAS model like people subscribe to the platform and then
0: that's right yeah so if different venues can will subscribe to it and use it hopefully to host their content and to train their staff there's a uh, certificates that you earn as you go up that showcase which level that you're at in terms of your education and your and your career, I suppose. Um, and then individuals can also subscribe and and go on there themselves without being attached to a venue. Yeah. Uh, but once they're part of an organization, the organization can then, you know, view performance, see who's engaging with material, see who's not, see what their expertise is. That's so, yeah. Bri-
1: so that's brilliant. Now I understand what your new podcast is about. That, oh yes. That is to support
0: that whole program so that's you, right yeah so you
1: get what sort of people have you interviewed so tell us a little bit about the podcast first I'm oh right. the
0: podcast is so much fun so the the, the podcast um just called the Ananas podcast basically is a, a place where we interview people who have achieved you know great success or are you know inspiring people in our industry and what i really want to do is inspire people um to stick to hospitality and to take a different approach to the industry hospitality is often seen as a as a unskilled Kind of, um, it's unskilled labor. You know, if you work in hospitality and people see think that you bartender or you do waiting jobs, it's jo- you try it's, to get a, it-
1: it's probably perceived as a, the job you have until you get your real job.
0: That's exactly right. You know, and you hear like stand comedians joke about it, and you hear actors joke about it. But was if you if you look at the people that I interview and and some people I know and is know here, you know, um, if you. If you didn't know that they started as a bartender, but they told you what their job role is, you'd go, how the hell do I get a job like that? That sounds incredible. Um, And and you start as a bartender, you start as a waiter, you start as a glassy, you start as a a dishy in the kitchen and you work your way up. But there's just no visibility of how far you can go. People know that if you, if you, everybody knows. You know, if you study medicine, you can become a doctor and you can earn loads of money. If you study law, you can become a successful barrister, maybe a politician. You can, you know, the, the sky's the limit, people think, right? Um, whereas I think, fuck, that's a lot of, that's a lot of boring, horrible years of mm. learning something dry. And then a lot of the same years ed- exercising <laughs> the dry stuff, right? Yeah. Whereas hospitality is really fun and you can go this... There's bartenders out there that make way more than than a, your average lawyer does. Um, and there's bartenders out there that make equally as much money as the head surgeon at a hospital. Easy. Yeah, wow. You okay. know, but you gotta, you got to start in industry and stick to it. you yeah. still got to work, right? You've still, still got to put in the hard yards you've to still get got, good at something. That's right. And I think it's just that that's what we're trying to do with the podcast is to show people that this is how far you can go and it is a real job and it is a real career and it is – and it's a lot it can be really inspiring and it's a super fun journey yeah. No, that that's awesome. Okay, Sven. Well
1: we're gonna wrap up now. Um now I know that there's no point getting people to ring you or email you. <laughs> <laughs> that's right It's pointless. But <laughs> tell us where they can find out about the podcast and maybe <laughs> one of the websites that um
0: Oh that's funny. Yeah. Uh, so the I mean the, the the podcast is on um if you go for the Ananas podcast, it's on you know it's on Spotify, it's on you know Apple, iTunes, it's pretty much anywhere you might listen so to is a podcast. That Bananas Ananas. without a B bananas about the bee that's right yeah, yeah, yeah. so it means it, it's that, it means pineapple um, yep. and the pineapple is the international symbol for hospitality okay um, which is why we chose that name and then uh, there'll be a probably um, there'll be a group website for our bar group coming up very soon this is just called speakeasygroup.com.au and all the venues and stuff will be there um, I'm not really on Twitter I don't have enough to say So that's probably the the two best places.
1: No, that's brilliant. Okay, Sven, thanks for coming on. And if you're enjoying the podcast, don't forget to share and subscribe. Thanks very much. See you next time.
0: Rock and roll. Thanks for having me, bro.